You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. So good. Welcome. Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, party breaks out. Have you ever been in a place? Uh, how many of you have ever been a part of a surprise party for someone? You like hid and you waited until they got there. And then as soon as they came around the corner or whatever, you jumped out and yelled, surprise. And it was a birthday party. It was great. How many of you have watched online or in a sporting event when they do one of those military reunions, you know what I'm talking about, where the person, they think they're overseas serving in the military, and the family members are brought forward to kind of like honor them at the sporting event, and then the actual dad or the mom or whatever shows up. How many of those, those videos make you cry? Come on, be honest. Yeah, yeah, I'm like a little baby just bawling, you know, my, you know watching on the computer or whatever. Oh my gosh, it's so, why? Why do we like that? Because built in our heart is this desire for like this reunion. I, I think like built in our heart is this desire for eternity to even, you know, be with God, be reunited with God, to, to get things back together the way that they should be. And it's amazing when you do that, like, you know, you can just be going about your day and all of a sudden uh, maybe a spontaneous party breaks out. Uh, I went uh, on, Heather and I traveled recently two different directions, but our flights landed back at uh, Sacramento Airport at the same, uh, roughly the same time, same evening. And so uh, my plane had landed, and then I had to wait around about an hour and a half or so for Heather's plane to land. And uh, so I'm down in lobby uh, Terminal A. You can picture that, you know, the big escalator that comes down to baggage claim. So I'm sitting in those chairs. I'm waiting for her to come down that escalator to clear security and do all that stuff. So I'm waiting for her to come down. But as I'm there and I'm waiting, all of a sudden, this party shows up. All these people come in. They got they got balloons, they got posters, there's a little kid, and I started noticing that all these military personnel started coming down the escalator. So like any good person would do with a smartphone, I decided to film it. You want to see it? All right, so here's a mom being reunited with her little toddler. So couldn't hear all their conversation, of course, but here's this mom, but by the time I was leaving, all the emotion of the event had caught up to her, and she's holding her little toddler going, I'm a horrible mom, and just, I mean, she just, like, all the emotions just come out because that separation has made the heart grow fonder, but she's doing what she needs to do, you know, for her family, but wow, that these friends would show up, and this instant party uh, would break out, and some of you are involved in, like, surprise parties, but uh, how many of you have ever been uh, involved in just kind of a spontaneous party? It wasn't on your agenda for the day, but it was like, let's go to lunch, let's throw a party for somebody, let's, and you just jumped on board and got in on it. And, and then how many of you, you know, you're, you're familiar with parties breaking out? Sometimes a spontaneous party breaks out when your team wins the championship, right? Maybe you're watching the game and all of a sudden in your living room, it was like, yeah, we're just sitting there watching all of a sudden, wah, instant party, right? And everybody's up and high-fiving and cheering. And it's a great moment uh, when those parties just break out. Our heart celebrates. We, we rejoice it. Maybe going into that day, you just were sure your team was going to get killed. Well, in the first century, People would often celebrate this Passover, this somber, um, you know, highly ritualized remembrance of God's deliverance from people in slavery in their heritage, in their past. And you'll remember as you cast back that, that the Passover happened when God rescued these people from slavery, but he sent 10 plagues against Egypt, and the Hebrews were enslaved under the Egyptian people, and so God kept sending plague, and Pharaoh would say, I'm not letting them go, and they sent another plague, and I'm not letting them go, and another plague, and finally God's like, I'm at the end, I'm going to send the death angel 
who's going to go to each house and take the firstborn. In fact, it also says that the firstborn of all the animals were taken as well. So God wasn't even, you know, I mean, he just was like kind of area-wide. That's what's going to happen. So he told the Hebrew people, listen, so the death angel does not come to your house. You put blood on the doorposts and on the door frames and on the windows and the window frames. And when that angel of death comes over, he'll see that a sacrifice has been made. He'll see the blood on the doorpost. And so the angel will pass over. And so he did. He came down, saw, oh, these are God's people, passed over, went to the Egyptian homes. Egyptian homes didn't have any of it, killed the firstborn. Pharaoh relents, says, I'll let your people go. The Hebrew people escape. Pharaoh changed his mind, chases after them. God drowns the army in the parted Red Sea. Gives freedom to his people. And every year they would just memorialize this event. So there were things that they would do in a Seder that were bitter and things they would do that would have different cups that they would sample. And, and it was all highly ritualized. Well, people were getting prepared, ready for Passover, somber event. But suddenly Jesus shows up and a party breaks out. And that's where our scripture picks up. If you have your Bible on your smartphone or in paper or wherever, open to Matthew 21, beginning with verse 1. Matthew 21, that's in the first book of the New Testament, uh, beginning with chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will uh, send them right away. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's from Zechariah 9, 9 in the Old Testament. And the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. So they did. They actually went there. And it was interesting because this colt, uh, this donkey colt and the mom were sitting, you know, tied up right outside a house, and they went up to it, and the neighbors were like, hey, what are you doing? You can't take, that's not your donkey. We don't, we don't know you. Who are you? And they said, well, the Lord needs it. And they're like, okay, go ahead and take it. So they took it, and they brought this donkey uh, back to Jesus. And Jesus is going to ride this donkey to fulfill scripture uh, just as it had been foretold. And so uh, we got to understand a couple things. Uh, how many of you have ever been in a limo? Limousine? All right. Wow. You guys are really spoiled. So um, I actually have only been in a limo on weddings. Anyone ever been in a limo for like a prom? Prom. How many been in a limo for like a party? How many of you, uh, does you drive every day in a limo? <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. But uh, if you've been in a limo, the, the transportation that you're in pretty much tells you that a party's going to break out, right? If you're in a limo with a bunch of people and it's going to be a wedding, you're part of a celebration. It, it's going to be a party. And so you get in a limo, just the transportation you're in says a party's going to break out. Well, that was a signal to these people that Jesus' transportation signals that he is the Messiah, you're taking notes today. His transportation signals that he's the Messiah, that not everybody can do this. In fact, normally a king would ride a mule. They would not ride a donkey. So if a king was going to be like, I'm going to show off, I'm going to come in, I'm going to get like the ride of all rides, and that day the ride of all rides was a mule. And Jesus said to fulfill scripture, I'm going to ride in on a donkey. And uh, it's interesting to, to realize that donkeys were regarded 
as wise among the animals. And that's probably why donkeys at times will get so stubborn, you know, and like dig in their hooves and be like, I'm not going anywhere. It's kind of like people, right? The smarter we get, sometimes our intellect makes us go, I don't know. I'm going to judge everything, analyze everything, think about it. We can get a little stubborn and say knowledge puffs up, right? The donkeys were considered wise among people. And it's interesting, if a king ever rode a donkey, it was not sign of like kingship. It was a sign of, of peace, not war. If you're riding your mule, you might be headed to war. Or you might be saying, I'm the king and I'm going to send out the armies to war. But if you ever rode a donkey, it meant like as a king, you'd be saying, this is a peaceful gathering. And of course, Zechariah shows us that. See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. And this is clear evidence of prophecy from that scripture. Well, what happens? They bring the donkey uh, and the colt and place their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So Jesus shows up on this donkey as transportation signals that he is king, and the whole place is stirred, just wondering, who is this? Why is he? What's he doing here? And it's interesting because they, they begin to give gifts to Jesus. Uh, they, they begin to give a tribute to him to show that he's king. They, they begin to, you know, like lay down their cloaks and then grab branches from trees and put them down. And we might think of this as the tribute that they would give to the king. The tribute's the gifts you give to the king to honor his position. And so you would pay tribute. You would pay your taxes. You would pay tribute uh, to any king. And so in a sense, Jesus coming in, it's in the party. They're like, what do we, I'll put my cloak down. I will give these branches down. And they will lay these things down. So the, the first thing they did was lay down these, these uh, their cloaks, their coats, and branches. And it shows kingship. And you say, well, why would that show kingship? I mean, why would you take a perfectly good coat and take it off and put it on the road? It's already on a road. You know, it's where the donkey should be, right, on the road. And put it down and, and let the donkey walk across it in its colt. And, uh, you know, donkeys, they got dirt on their hooves. And then, you know, they, they walk across this. And then they could also soil your garments in other ways, uh, as donkeys might do. But why would you ever just take your coat and put it down? Why would they do that? Why would that be any sign? Of kingship. Well, in Jewish history, that was a common practice. In fact, in 2 Kings, this whole example happens where Elijah has finally killed all these prophets of Baal, then he gets depressed and he runs away from Jezebel, the evil queen, and God says at the end of that, I will anoint Jehu king of Israel, and he will conquer, and basically he's telling Elijah, I'm going to build a team around you. You don't have to be depressed about this anymore. I'm going to build the support that you need to carry out the mission I've called you to. And you're going to anoint Elisha, this is Elijah anointing Elisha, to be a prophet with him. Well, Elisha then goes on, finds this guy named Jehu, and has a conversation with him. Anoints his head with oil, and his buddies are off at a distance wondering, why is Jehu talking to that kind of crazy guy, that prophet, Elisha? 
And, and, and they come back and they're like, hey, what did he say? And he goes, oh, you know that crazy guy, just kind of crazy talk. And they're like, no, you're lying to us. And that's where this passage picks up in 2 Kings chapter 9. The friends say, that's not true, they said. Tell us. So Jehu finally says, here is what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. And they quickly took their cloaks and they spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. There was history for this. This was a sign of tribute. This was a sign of kingship. And so when Jesus comes riding in, they would think back to case history. And what would we do for a king? What would we do to recognize a king? We would take our cloaks off. We put them down as if his feet or the colt's feet wouldn't even touch the dirt or the soil. And so they honor him. And people who maybe didn't have their cloak, they're like cutting palm branches or olive branches or whatever indigenous branches were around at the time as he's ascending up into Jerusalem. They're taking branches and they're spreading things out in front of him and they're laying those things down. And they lay them down. It's interesting. They, they take their cloak off and they lay it down. Of course, the donkey would walk across it and they probably would pick their coat up and shake it off and put it back on. And, and there's this picture of we lay things down and then we pick them back up. And the people who are participating in this party, it's like, in a sense, having a glow stick. You can participate better if you, if you got something that you can wave or you can do. So they're waving branches. They put them down in front of Jesus, and then they would pick things up. They lay them down, and they pick up. What do they pick up? They pick up celebration because now they're part of the party. They're part of the enjoyment. So suddenly they thought it was, we're just getting somber and ready to celebrate Passover. But here's the deal that, you know, it's Passover week. And so we're going to get somber this whole week leading up into Passover. And so they're going to lay these branches down, these coats down. But what do they pick up? Suddenly a party breaks out. And they begin to celebrate and they begin to honor Jesus as King of Kings, as Lord of Lords. And they lay them down to pick something else back up. What would modern-day branches or coats be that you and I would lay down? What do we lay down to signify that Jesus is king of your life? What do you honor him with? What do you bestow to him? What tribute do you give the king and lay down to show that he's the king? At times I think of our, you know, our tithes, that we lay that down, that my money's not going to own me, God, but I'm going to own it, and I'm going to honor you with the first of my income. And what do we pick up? We pick up faith. God, you've got to help things make it through the rest of the month, and you've got to train us, and we've got to know that you're faithful and you're true and your promises are trustworthy and that you, in fact, are God and that you care about me and my circumstances, and God, I'm going to honor you. So what we do. We lay it down. We deny ourselves. We pick up faith. What else do we lay down? We might lay down praise and worship. It's easy for us to stand here, you know, at a day like today and, like, watch what's going on. And we're watching the kids, and the kids are praising and worshiping. It's easy for us to watch and go, hmm, that's cool. But when you and I participate, when you and I sing, when we begin to get into it, we're honoring with my words, my praise to God. God, I'm honoring you. I'm worshiping you as king. What happens on the inside? We pick up celebration. We're now a part of the party. We're not just watching a party. We're now a part of it. So we lay it down, but what do we pick up? We pick up celebration. You and I, we lay down disobedience to honor Jesus as King of kings, Lord of lords. We lay down disobedience, and we pick up obedience. God, I'm going to lay down doing things the way I want, and I'm going to pick up obedience to you 
and honor you as king. We lay down self-denial and we pick up serving in the church. That I'm going to lay down just receiving and consuming and saying, hey, the party's all about me. No, I'm going to lay that down and I'm going to serve, I'm going to celebrate, and I'm going to set the date for somebody else to hear about freedom and hope in Jesus. So I'm not just going to receive, but I'm going to lay it down, I'm going to celebrate, I'm going to serve. And we pick that up. We might need to lay down worry or anxiety or fear or doubt. You ever heard that statement, just let go and let God? How many of you have heard that? Okay, how many of you ever tried that? You ever tried that? Sometimes it works, right? Because sometimes that's like really hard. That's like impossible. Like, okay, so I'm supposed to like lay this down and just let God handle it. Because what I do is I, I lay it down and I pick it right back up, right? I'm feared and worried. Oh, I shouldn't be feared and worried because God is God and I'm not. And so that's, but what happens? We worry, worry, worry. We just, you know, it's like moment by moment. I'm supposed to be laying this down and and my boys and I were talking about this uh, just yesterday at our, we kind of do a little man time, and we were just talking about, well, how do we lay down fear and we lay down, you know, worry, and, and what we do is we pick up the mind of Christ. See, we lay down those things. So often we're just told, like, lay it down. Like, just lay it down. But I think that's only halfway. So when I get all anxious, when I get worried, when I'm distressed, when all those things happen, I, I've got to lay that down. But what, is, what do I do? Instead, I need to pick up the mind of Christ, and know that I am a son or daughter of the Most High God. I need to remind myself with the truth of Scripture that God is in control. I need to take and put on the mind of Christ. I need to serve and say, it's not all about me. I serve. Instead of being worried about everything that's all about me, I need to put on the mind of Christ who sacrificed himself and served while everybody else was having a party. He was walking, riding into town to die. He was serving. We lay it down, but we pick something else back up. What is God calling you to lay down? What would modern-day branches be that God's Holy Spirit is saying, lay this down as tribute to me, and then pick up what corresponds? Lay it down. Pick it up. I don't know what you walked into this room with today, but I guarantee you, anytime we have a gathering of as many people as these, there are so many of us who walk in with huge burdens, huge things going on in our lives, and God is saying, rest, lay it down. Honor me as king and pick up peace. Pick up the mind of Christ. Lay down disobedience. Pick up obedience. Begin again. Lay down all these things. Offer up your praise and your worship. And you'll begin to be a part of the party that's at hand. So the first thing that they give as tribute are the branches and the coats. The second thing they give as tribute then to Jesus are the words. The words that the people shouted showed Jesus to be king. They shouted, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, that word. How many of you heard that word? We sing that word, you know, in different songs in church. It's a lot of people don't even know what that word means. Hosanna means Oh, Lord, save us. That's what they're saying. They're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Lord, save us. Lord in the highest heavens, save us. They're saying, please, God, save us. See, and the people at that time are not thinking, God, save us from our sin. 
Because the reason that they would even go up to the temple would be to get the appropriate animal or bring the appropriate animal and sacrifice it as the forgiveness of your sins. They, under the law, they had a medium, a mode, by which the forgiveness of sin would happen. So they're not saying, Lord, save us from our sins, like we might understand in a New Testament context. In that context, they're saying, Lord, save us. And what did Jesus save them from? What they're so often looking for is they wanted Jesus to save them from Roman occupation. Please rise up. Save us. We're tired of paying our tithes to the Lord and our taxes to where we need them out of here. And so they're like, we, want, we were, are so tired of poverty. We're so tired of hunger. Save us, God, from hunger. You're the miracle man. You can take, you know, bread and some fish, and you can bless them, and suddenly you can feed 5,000 people. They're like, we're tired of working. Lord, save us so that you can just create food for the nation. Be our king. Let it be about us. We're tired of sickness. Save us from this. We've heard that you heal. So they're crying out, Hosanna. They're saying, this party breaks out because finally somebody, something who can do something miraculous, because we're so tired of all these different things. Sometimes you and I do the same thing. We cry out, oh Lord, save us, right? And we're not talking about God save me from my, my sins necessarily. Sometimes we're saying, God, save us in a way that we're, the time that we come to God in desperation, we say, God, save us. We're, we're thinking about ourselves, and so it's almost like saying, Lord, please, just please help. And oftentimes it's very selfish things. We say, God, please don't let my girlfriend be pregnant. Oh, God, please help me pass this test that I haven't studied for. God, please help me in every way. God, please rescue me from these bill collectors who keep calling my phone. God, please don't let me be caught or go to jail. God, please take away this zit before formal because it's this weekend and I just don't want it there in my pictures for the rest of my life. God, please let my team win the championship, right? And we cry out, God, please. God, look, we're crying out, Hosanna, Lord, save us. But it's self-serving. And what if going to jail helps you get closer to Jesus? Does God promise to save us from the consequences of our own behavior? But oftentimes we approach God like a credit card. We approach God like a rescue system. We approach God like, God, I'm stressed out. I don't like the feeling of stress, so you save me so that I no longer have to experience that. And so we're trying to like lay down our stress, but we are not picking up the mind of Christ and putting it on and walking as a son or a daughter of the most high God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, save us. What happens when people cry out, Hosanna, Lord, save us to get what's in it for them? Well, when they don't get what's in it for them, they quickly discard that person as king, which is exactly what happened as Jesus is entering. The crowds are saying, Hosanna in the highest, and they're saying, Lord, save us, and he knows, he knows, he knows. Within a week, these people will be shouting, crucify him. It didn't deliver what we wanted. Why? Because when we seek God only for what's in it for us, when we don't get what we want, we quickly discard the king. And we put ourselves back on the throne. And Jesus is listening to rightful praise, rightful worship from so many, but knowing where 
the temporary nature of that will lead. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time that you were so grieved about your sin? You, you were just so upset about it that you cried out to God just desperately, God, oh God, just, just save me. I'm just a mess. I just need your help. You just have come, you know, light to light, just with face to face with the reality of your sin. You know, there's this idea that people think the closer you get to God, the, the more confident or the uh, more godly you become. Well, no, the closer you get to God, the more we become aware of our own sinfulness, right? Because God begins to peel things back and show us the thoughts and motivations of our heart. And the closer we get to God, there are those times he's saying, listen, those things will hurt you and they will lead you where you don't want to go and I want to rescue you from that and I want to purify your motives. I want to purify what you're doing. I want to purify your heart. And as we approach closer to God, we begin to become more and more aware of just how greatly we need him. And we've been doing this Daniel fast. And one of the things about doing a Daniel fast is that you deny yourself and you begin to pray, but you also begin to say, God, peel back for me. What are you doing in this heart of mine? What are you doing on the inside? God, how can I see myself better in light of your holiness? God, how can I see myself in a way that shows you're the king and I'm not? We get closer to God. We're intentional about it. And some of you have finished the Daniel fast. You've done maybe 10 days. Some of you are in it right now. You just kind of started it. Some of you are doing all 21. If you're doing all 21, keep hanging in there. Keep going. Because be intentional about your walk with Christ. That that denying of self with your, with your, you know, the kind of foods that you're eating right now, eat as much as you need to to feel full. But when those desires for other things come up, those appetites for other things come up, turn to the Lord intentionally instead. Hang in there. It's about a week left. That's it. We're going 21 days. About a, a week ago, we were at a conference, and uh, we're down in Southern California, and we're on the Daniel Fast. And uh, we go to this conference, and it's at a big church, and, and it's for uh, business leaders and Christian leaders, and it's a phenomenal conference called Catalyst. I go almost every year, and uh, it's just phenomenal, really refreshing for me. And uh, just great time to worship the Lord. And, and so the band is out there, and we're worshiping the Lord. And Francis Chan's going to come speak. And it's just this, you know, evening. And, and, and by the way, every meals, they just have food trucks at the church. That's how you get, you know, fed. And so here we're on the Daniel Fast, and we walk outside. And it's like every food truck, like steak sliders. And, you know, it's got all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness, I'm hungry for like, and you can smell them all. You know, every food truck smells great. And you're just like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm looking for something that has vegetables and something that has lettuce and something that has, you know, I mean, just stuff that we could do for food. And, but I'm there, we're at this, and we're just at this evening time. And I'm just worshiping the Lord, just worshiping God. And, and in the middle of it, God, like, just starts to break in as he's just been doing some stuff in my heart and he begins to, to break in right there and as he's breaking in I'm almost like Lord hang on we're on the third course here Lord I'll be with you in a minute you know I just want to I'm worshiping here uh, you're interrupting the worship God um, you know please no I mean but he was he was just right in the middle of stuff just like having a one-on-one -on -one with me and just there and just looking at looking at what's in my heart, words or, or actions, and just God just revealing, peeling that stuff back for me, and I just was like grieved, and I'm just, I literally am like, and we're in worship, and I'm just like, Lord, just, just save me, and I had this picture, and it's really weird, because I've, I haven't thought of this since I was a kid, but when I was a kid, uh, I don't know how true this is, but when I was a kid, I heard that when people have a tapeworm, that they have a person fast, 
and they put a piece of meat on the tongue, and then the tapeworm comes up like to get it, and then the doctor grabs it and like pulls it out. All right, how many of you are fully disgusted now? It's just really nasty and really gross. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, just to let you know, I Googled it, and uh, you can take like medicine now that like kills the worm. So I'm just saying, if any of you got that issue going on, you don't have to, you know, starve and, and, and let it. But I had this, in the middle of worship, I just literally, I had this, I was like, God, just, you know, save me from just the, you know, when God just peels back and reveals your sin for what it is, and you're just like, oh, Lord, just, you know, save me. I just had this picture that he was like, you're fasting, and I'm just like grabbing that, that thing out of me and just drawing it out. And there was freedom in worship, freedom to approach God, to love him wholeheartedly, to be accepted because of what he did on the cross, not because of how good or bad I am. Freedom. God, save us from our sin. When's the last time you and I cried out, oh, Lord, save us when we consider our sin, that we could live as a son or a daughter, as the most high God a beautiful picture because he's able to draw that out so that sin isn't eating me anymore, but rather I'm filled with all that God is to live as he desires. And that's why Jesus was entering Jerusalem. He was entering Jerusalem to say, I am here to grab a hold of the sin, conquer sin and death forever, and draw it away from the con condemnation of you so that you could have right relationship with me, so that it could be restored, so there could be a reunion, a homecoming. And that's why Jesus was riding in Jerusalem, showing himself to be the Messiah. What does he do next? Matthew 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called the house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. We find out that not only does Jesus' transportation signal that he is the Messiah, but the tribute that people gave him shows him to be the king, and Jesus' actions in the temple tell us that he's the king of kings. The gospel account in Mark said that Jesus entered the temple courts and he carefully inspected everything that was going on. So he walks in, he's like, I'm the king of kings, lord of lords, this is my temple. I'm coming up to it, I'm in the temple courts, and I'm looking around to see what is going on. To see if it lines up, if it matches up. The temple courts were a place that were set aside for prayer. That's what the temple courts were set aside for. But he goes in, and all the business of religiosity is happening in the temple courts. And not only that, but they're cheating people out of money. So people are showing up to be like, I got to show up, and I got to offer a you know, certain animal. If I don't have the animal with me, I didn't raise it. Well, then I need to purchase an acceptable sacrifice to take into the temple and have it sacrificed for the forgiveness of my sins. And they would show up, and the people would have dishonest scales. 
They would have wrongly weighted scales. So they'd overcharge people for what they were delivering. They were cheating people, which in their mind meant great business, but in the mind of God was you were, you were causing it to be a den of robbers. So he goes and he throws over those tables. He basically cleans house, and then he sets up shop. So now he's in his temple courts, and Jesus literally starts becoming the answer to prayer for many people that the sick would show up in the temple courts now to Jesus. And they came to him, the scriptures say, and he healed them. So the blind person comes in, finds their way to Jesus, and Jesus heals them and opens their eyes. And in that moment, Jesus is the answer to prayer for that person's desperate cries regarding their blindness. And, and they're sick, and they've been tired of being sick, and they're just in pain. And they come to Jesus, and he heals them. And they instantly, he's the answer to prayer for the sickness that they are experiencing. And he frees them. And Jesus begins to do in the temple courts what the temple courts were set up to do as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The New Testament tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That there's no longer just a temple in Jerusalem that we go to and, and try to pray there, but that we can pray to God and have direct access to him at any time. But we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God comes to you and I, and he wants to inspect the house. He wants to carefully look at the house, and he wants to, out of a loving care as a good father, say, listen, that stuff, those motives, those actions, those words will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, keep you longer and you wanted to stay. And I want to help pull that out of you if you're willing to lay it down. I want to come clean house. And like a loving God, he does that with us. And he's the power for freedom in you and in me. He begins to do that there. He cleaned the temple physically, but it was not filled with genuine worship of God, except for those people who were getting healed and who were praying and who were still singing. Because right there were a bunch of religious leaders full of knowledge who sat back and were terribly disturbed. They sat back with their arms crossed and they were so upset and they come to Jesus and they say this amazing statement. They say, you know, do you not hear what these children are saying? And we need to understand what the children are saying to understand what Jesus replies back to the Pharisees, um, that Jesus at this point, he says to them, yes, replied Jesus, have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. So basically what the chief priests and Pharisees are coming in, they're saying, listen, do you hear what these innocent, young, naive children are saying about you? They're giving you praise like you're God, and that's blasphemy. And so they're basically saying, do you, do you see what's going on here? And you're not stopping it. You have full power to stop it. You're not stopping it. Do you see? And they're saying, that they are calling you the deity, the almighty. You are God. And Jesus basically says, yes, I hear. Then he asks them, you know, he asks the intellectuals, haven't you ever read? And tells them a very common verse. And the point Jesus is making is that God calls forth their praise. What's happening right now is happening because God is causing praise to happen to himself. Jesus is saying, I am God. People who say Jesus never claimed to be God anywhere in the Bible don't know the Bible. This is one more example where Jesus is absolutely claiming, I am the great I am. 
I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what the children are doing is they are rightly responding to me. But he's looking at the hardened heart that cannot celebrate, that cannot rejoice, that overanalyzes, that refuses to turn away from their religiosity. And there's irony in the question that they ask Jesus. They ask him, do you hear what these children are saying? And what's Jesus almost, almost mockery back to them? I mean, literally, do you, do you hear what the children are saying? Because they get it. They're understanding it. But your heart is hardened and you are not. You can't hear or even celebrate or join in the party because you refuse to lay yourself down. What would he say to us? What would God say about your heart? What do you say? Jump on board of the party. Give me praise. Give me honor or worship. Lay these things down. Show me to be king of kings and lord of lords. Or what do you say? You can't even hear what the children are saying. You're distracted by the activity. You're distracted by your own judgments. You can't. Your heart's hardened. That's the irony of the hardened heart. So let me ask you today, do you hear what the children were saying to Jesus? Do you believe it? Do you honor him as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? There's this great quote, a pastor named Brian Lorett says this, if your claim is that Jesus Christ has come into my life and your life looks pretty much the same, you may want to check the validity of that claim. See, what he's saying is so many people are like, well, I gave my life to Christ. All right, but let's look at it. You say you gave your life to Christ, but if your life looks largely unchanged, you might want to investigate that a little further. Because what happens? When Jesus takes over a life, he constantly wants to work in us and through us. He makes us a new creation. We respond to him as king of kings and lord of lords. Our heart responds to him. And we honor him. And there are some of you who have been going to church forever. And you know it all. You've been to how many Palm Sundays? You say, Jesus is my Lord, but you look at your life and you go, but I got no evidence that validates him as king. You might want to check out the claim that you've been making all these years. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just as we come to a time where we're reflecting on our own lives. Those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, there's a decision point I'm bringing you to right now. And that decision point is this that you ask God's Holy Spirit what it is he's asking you to lay down as tribute. Would you let God peel that back? Would you see your sin for what it really is? And would you cry out, Lord, save us? But I also know that in this room there are many who are just investigating Jesus and you're checking out church, and you've never come to a point where you've asked Jesus to be the king or the Lord of your life. You've never asked to have your sins forgiven, and you, you today are coming to the end of yourself. You're just, you are ready to receive Jesus as Lord. You're ready to honor him as king. You are ready to just lay yourself down and say, God, save me from my sin and make me a new creation. Clean me 
God, save me. There's no other way a person's saved but through Jesus Christ because it was he who was crucified for our sin. It was he who conquered death and rose from the grave. It is he who is God himself. And so you are simply crying out to the God who created you that he would save you from your sin. And if that's you today, then you pray a prayer to him just silently in your seat, right where you're sitting. God hears you, but you might want to pray something like this. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation. God, clean me. Forgive me of all my sin. Help me to walk in new life that this person would become your temple and that you would do great things in me. Today, God, I say yes to you. If you just prayed that prayer right where you were sitting, would you just raise up your hand? Just pray it and you just meant it. We've got some ushers like to give you some information for the first time. It's one in the middle here on the back row, Angel. Uh, little gal was waving there. Steve may grab her. Anywhere else around the room? Awesome. First time you just saying, awesome. Believers in the room, we've got a week. Let's invite people here next week for Easter that we could hear and celebrate and party about the resurrection of a risen Lord, that we could lift him up as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But God, there I know, I know, I know there are people who should be here today who need to know you, that we know. And God, I know, I know, I know that there are people who should be here next week who need to know you. Would you open our eyes to participate with the party that you have going on? The scripture says that when a person receives Christ, the angels in heaven celebrate, they party, they shout praise to Almighty God because the King of kings and the Lord of lords has rescued mortal man from sin. So Sun Grove Church, will you participate with that? Will you clap and shout for what God is doing among us? It's good stuff. It's great stuff. There's a party going on. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.